At Dulles International Airport in Washington, you'll have trucks or vans with pallets of cargo, shipping your Amazon packages or whatever. And all of these boxes filled with your stuff is going through giant white sensor posts that try and detect any amount of radiation. If the detector goes off because it sends some level of radiation, the delivery driver has to stop about a half mile away for further inspection. Basically, some official will go interrogate and use a handheld radiation device to make sure there's no nuclear material there. So here's an interesting fact. Since the dawn of mankind, there has never been a single instance where someone was caught smuggling nuclear material into the United States. Not once. At least not a real smuggling instance. You know, there have been tests to smuggle nuclear material into the United States that have succeeded. I'm sure everyone has heard about the government test to try and get a gun through the TSA. The same thing has happened for uranium. And even if there's never been a real attempt that we've caught, there have been thousands of non-attempts that we did catch. We flag down suspicious radioactive material all the time. And that's because these radiation detectors aren't all that perfect. They can detect radiation, but not specific types. And there's so many things in our daily life that give off some amount of radiation. Cat litter, granite countertops, and even people with medical treatments trigger the alarm. So these radiation detectors don't always work that well. You sometimes don't catch what you should, and sometimes you flag down a box of cat litter. Now the intention behind the radiation detectors is pretty obvious. The government has been continually trying to answer the basic question of... How the hell do we find a radioactive rock in a shipping container? Or a van? Or a suitcase? And if we do, how do we tell what kind of rock it is? That's an extremely difficult question. Hello everyone, this is the Nuclear Warriors podcast. I'm Tammy Wien. And I'm Alton Liu. Current radiation detectors don't work that well. So the government has been trying to find new ways to detect radioactive material, dangerous nuclear material, and all other sorts of things that might signal misbehavior in the nuclear space. But it's hard. So today on the show, we're going to look at three technologies currently developing and being worked on to solve the question, how do we find this radioactive rock and understand what it is? The Nuclear Warriors podcast is supported by the Reinventing Civil Defense Project and funded by the Carnegie Corporation of New York. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of the supporting organizations. Questions about the podcast or the Reinventing Civil Defense Project can be directed to elton at nuclearwarriors.com. So just for our audience, can you state your name and what exactly it is that you do? Sure. Um, so my name is Caitlin Turner, and I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard University's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. And um, I have been researching nuclear issues from fuel cycle issues to energy issues to security issues in some form or another since I was 18. Caitlin wrote a paper titled New Ways to Detect Nuclear Misbehavior around the beginning of 2018, and it covers what we want to discuss today. So you wrote a paper titled New Ways to Detect Nuclear Misbehavior, which I think is is kind of a loaded title because 
it implies there are old ways and misbehavior is kind of a broader term than I was imagining when I was reading through uh, the actual applications of the technology. Yeah, actually that title, it's funny that you picked up on that. So there were some, several iterations, right? So first we considered with the editor, like nuclear smuggling or like nuclear proliferation or, but really when I say nuclear misbehavior, I mean that to be sort of a catch-all term regarding the presence of nuclear material or the use of nuclear material in a way that's not allowed legally. It could be someone shuttling around plutonium in a suitcase that is clearly not okay. It could be, um, you know, Iran saying, like, we're using this reactor in a certain way and we're not producing plutonium with it, and then actually they are. Um, so when I say nuclear misbehavior, I literally just mean anything that um, is not legal and not approved of by the international community, by the norms that we've set for what people are supposed to be doing with nuclear material. So there's a lot that is not legal or approved of by the international community. Smuggling is the obvious one that we talked about, but it can be anything from selling dangerous nuclear technology, which Pakistan and Israel have been accused of doing, to everything North Korea is doing. So current methods, you know, they obviously aren't perfect. And so I'm kind of wondering what are the limitations of the ones that we employ now? And broadly, why is it so difficult to detect nuclear material? Basically, detecting radioactivity itself is difficult. And that's for a couple of reasons. One is because the air around us is radioactive, right? Radioactivity comes from the ground. It's everywhere. There's background radiation. Another thing is that unless you're looking right at a source that you know is a radioactive source, um, it's, you know, you're, you're not going to pick up things like that. And another thing is that most radioactive particles, especially the ones from like uranium and plutonium, they actually have a mass. Think of it like a bowling ball, like a bowling ball tra- traveling through space. And so, um, you know, these particles get weighted down. And unless you have a detector that is, just, is like very close to the uranium and plutonium source um, and also like calibrated in a sense to pick up those, that, those, uh, those particles, you're, you're just not going to see it. Essentially, two types of radiation, the alpha and beta radiation, are particles. This means that they are actual physical things that can get stopped. It's affected by gravity. It doesn't go through walls as easily. Gamma radiation is the one created after a nuclear detonation, but when uranium or plutonium is just sitting there, it just gives off alpha radiation. So you can literally hold uranium in your hand because your skin will stop the dangerous alpha particles from hurting you. You can put a chunk of uranium into your backpack and the alpha radiation wouldn't escape. And that's what makes it so hard to capture. So scientists have been working to solve this issue. The radiation particles that signal nuclear material aren't always easy to catch, so we need better technologies to help every step of the way. One of the current technologies being used is a basic x-ray. If you've ever gotten injured or have been to a hospital, you may have been subject to an x-ray. Some airports also use them. And the way an x-ray works is just by shooting some radiation through an object or a person, and then it hits some photographic film. It's pretty useful for seeing through objects, like a suitcase or your skin. But x-rays have a lot of limitations. 
you know, if you have, say, a, like, very small, thin wedge of plutonium or, like, a small bit of uranium, and even if it is highly enriched uranium, and then you surround it in layers, or if you tightly pack it, um, or if you, especially if you surround it with, you know, things that are also really dense, like, say, lead, when you, when the scanner looks at that, the way it works is it, it can't distinguish um, the layers, and it can, especially if, you know, the layer is thin or if the surrounding material is, is denser and heavier. And this problem of not being able to see layers is trying to be solved right now with something called neutron radiography. Neutron radiation and x-radiation have different properties. So x-rays in particular are extremely good at imaging dense material. So any medical x-ray, you see the, your bones as sort of this light gray color. Uh, in an x-ray, dense materials will appear completely full white. The magic of the neutron radiography is that it doesn't record metal as clearly. The N-ray specializes in imaging liquids, plastic, and some of these lighter materials. This property also means that it can pierce through and see what's behind a metal case, even if it's lead. So if we take the example of a bunch of small lead cases, or like go back to the example of the cat litter alert from cargo scanners. Airports and governments are trying to see if they can utilize this technology to get a better image of what's actually occurring inside a container. So like just imagine instead of flagging down all the cat litter boxes, a combination of x-rays and an n-ray, you could see both the box and whatever's inside. The n-ray would be able to show that, oh, it's just this sandy material but there's this weird darker spot that doesn't match the rest of the contents in the box. Now, neutron radiography is about scanning technologies, trying to look into a box or a suitcase. It's not very useful when dealing with other types of nuclear misbehavior. For example, there's a lot of interest in trying to understand what's going on in a nuclear energy reactor, like how much fuel is burning, those sorts of questions. But you can't scan an entire reactor, so we need something else. Some of this newer technology being developed to try and track nuclear reactors is called anti-neutrino detection. And honestly, I have no idea what an anti-neutrino is. So anti-neutrinos are particles that are emitted during certain types of radioactive decay, and during beta decay. The thing about anti-neutrinos is that they have a very specific energy, they have a very specific uh, response to detection so that you can measure, you know, you can say whether an antineutrino came from an iodine particle or from a cesium particle. And the thing that's really great about antineutrinos in terms of detection also is that they can travel for a very long time. And by that, I mean like several meters and through concrete buildings and things like that. Another great thing is just how much of them are released during nuclear decay. For every atom that is split, you get about six anti-neutrino particles that also fly out. And the special signal tract can let you know whether it's uranium-235 or plutonium that's being used. The detector built to track anti-neutrinos is pretty simple. It just counts the rate of anti-neutrinos being produced. And it can track this over a long period of time. So you're able to measure changes over a reactor's entire lifetime. So countries usually have to declare the amount of uranium or plutonium that they have and the rate of usage. So this detector can verify that as well. It's pretty simple and kind of elegant, actually, if, if it ever happens. The idea here is that 
you're having a detection um, array of antineutrino detectors that is mobile. So it's in like a truck or something like that that you can drive around to different locations next to reactors. And you can park that detector next to a reactor, turn it on, and you can verify what exactly is going on inside of that reactor. Understanding what's going on in a reactor is a key technical issue when designing nuclear policy. Take North Korea, for example. A lot of people talk about the importance of verification if North Korea freezes their nuclear program, but you can't freeze their reactors because that's a large part of their energy production. The byproduct of nuclear reactors contains plutonium, which can be saved to create nuclear weapons, and so the more you burn, the more plutonium produced. But knowing how much uranium is being used in a reactor is a very difficult thing to monitor. One of the things with the Iran nuclear deal is that, you know, Iran is saying that, like, okay, we're only going to have civilian commercial reactors, we're only going to use low-enriched uranium, we're not going to have any breeder reactors that are specifically making plutonium. I mean, I don't know if you or your listeners have ever visited a nuclear reactor, but, like, you know, you can't tell. Well, first of all, like, by looking at it, you're not going to necessarily be able to tell. And so if you had some sort of, like, a cohesive effort to fool detection efforts and verification efforts, you know, that's something that you can do. So with an antineutrino detector, you could park it next to a reactor and, you know, go in and say, like, okay, what type of fuel is in this reactor? Is it on right now? Et cetera. And then you could verify what the reactor operators are actually saying with whether or not it's true. The fact that this is mobile, the fact that this can be moved around to different reactors, set up, you know, it doesn't require this, like, under the ground building. It's huge because it means that, you know, this could potentially just run around and do inspections and there wouldn't be enough warning time potentially for a nation that's trying to or a group that's trying to fool inspectors into thinking that it's not producing plutonium or it's burning a different grade of uranium than it's supposed to be burning, you know, it would be harder to hide. The anti-neutrino method is actually pretty remarkable, and experiments have shown that it's stable and requires extremely low maintenance. But whatever detectors you have, or like the scanning neutron radiography, you have to be pretty close to the thing you're trying to measure. And that's often dangerous if the thing is super radioactive. So some scientists have been working on this thing called plasma breakdown detection. So basically plasma is, it's the fourth state of matter. But what it is, is it's basically ionized gas. And so, I don't know if that's even... (laughs) There might be a better way to explain that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how to explain it. Um, It's like lightning, for example. So most gases, oh gosh, this is going to be weedy. (laughs) So, so, you know, like uh, gases exist and they're not really ions, which means they're neutrally charged. Um, They don't have like extra electrons or, you know, fewer electrons than they're supposed to. And if you ionize a gas, then what that means is that you're like stripping a gas of its electrons or you're adding electrons to a gas so that it becomes a charged state. Um, And so this just doesn't typically happen on the Earth's surface, right? Um, But you can ionize things like in a laser. Um, 
and we do this a lot actually like for uh, mass spectrometry techniques a lot of times used ionized gases um, but it just it doesn't really happen right so if we think back to the N rays you have to be physically right next to the object you have to scan cargo or a suitcase basically within a couple feet. And to determine exactly what kind of radioactive material it is, you have to use a handheld device. The idea of this technology is that you're inducing a plasma, so you're, you're ionizing a gas, and you're shooting that plasma at a focused source or an area that you think may be radioactive. And there's a property, you know, there's several properties about plasma that mean that if that ionized gas, which is already, you know, unstable, it doesn't exist on the Earth's surface, right? When it encounters that radiation, the plasma will actually break down and disperse. It won't, um, it won't, it'll cease to be a plasma. There was this experiment run on the use of plasma in South Korea, and they estimated the range to be about one kilometer or about two-thirds of a mile. And so... If you, you know, have some sort of apparatus that can generate the plasma and then shoot that plasma at what you think may be a radioactive source, um, if that plasma breaks down and you can measure the presence or the breakdown of that plasma, then you can confirm conclusively whether or not there is a radioactive source there. This plasma breakdown allows detection at a distance. But probably more impactful is that it can also help in cleaning up potential nuclear accidents or determining the safety of areas near a previous nuclear reactor. The thing that bothers me, though, is that these technologies aren't perfect either. I'd want something that would be like, hey, this is uranium. But there's no silver bullet to perfect detection. Like, the neutron radiography improves scanning capabilities. We can see more into cargo, shipping containers, or into vans or suitcases of travelers in the airport. But it doesn't tell us if it's uranium or plutonium. It just lets us see inside of dense material. It's probably the same with antineutrino detection. The antineutrinos help to monitor the activity of a nuclear reactor. But we don't always know where these reactors are, so it's kind of like, if you can't find it, you can't even use this. And in the case of verification, you'd still need the permission to deploy these in places like North Korea, which is kind of unlikely. And the plasma breakdown just helps us know if there's radioactivity at a distance, which is nice because it's safer for people, but again, not a silver bullet. You know, all of this, it, it just kind of reminds me of other types of security, like protecting your personal information. You do things that decrease your risk by like 10% or whatever, like, okay, so I just went through data security training, and it's, it's really simple things like don't write your password down, two-factor authentication, hide your social security number, don't click on any link from a Nigerian prince. Yeah, Alton, yeah. I see you. Good on you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I had not clicked on that link. Mm, nice. <laughs> so this detecting nuclear materials is just a step-by-step -step improvement in this entire world of nuclear security. Having the anti-neutrino detection is like a bank monitoring weird activity on your credit card. They'll flag you down if a weird purchase is made in Mexico. It's not 100% protection, but it's better than not knowing what the reactor is doing at all. So next time you're listening to news about North Korean verification, think about the anti-neutrinos. 
just because it's not perfect doesn't mean it can't be valuable. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think about the show. There's an extensive list of material we had for this show that you can find at nuclearwarriors.com. Sadly, we can't provide Caitlin's actual paper because of copyright issues. <sighs> it makes me mad that academic papers are behind paywalls. I mean, this stuff is supposed to advance human knowledge through collaboration and building on each other. I know. It's a, it's a bane of my existence. <clears throat> if you feel the same way about these paywall journals, let us know at alton at nuclearwarriors.com. Or if you have any feedback, questions, or stories you want us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. Okay, also, I'd like to make a public apology to Caitlin. I told her that this episode would be finished around four weeks after our conversation. It's now four months later. So, procrastination at the highest level. But, um, better late than never. Thanks everyone for listening. Talk to you next time. <laughs>